this is a bit of a different take on the athlete transition than the typical what do you do next kind of question. If you've been a more or less full-time athlete for many years, one of the things you will have to do when you take off your gear and transition out of sports is to re-find yourself without that gear. I know you know this, but today we'll take that very literally, okay? Welcome to the Athlete Story Podcast, your chance to tap into wisdom from athletes and experts in world-class sports. You are about to be taken into a chat about sports careers and related issues between an awesome guest and your listening host, the sports insider, repurposed Olympic mogul skier, and former freeride world tour athlete, Anya Balbia. This is priceless insight about performance, personal challenges, strategy, finances, and of course, the tricky transition into life after sports. Listen in and enjoy these inspirational stories that are just too athlete-centered for mainstream media. I've brought in two people for this episode that just did a joint workshop in Miami for the Women Athlete Business Network and the International Women's Forum. So that's former elite squash player Katherine Johnson, who is today an image consultant. In her own words, she helps eliminate the visual static so that you can be seen, heard, and valued for who you really are. And in that way, present the most authentic and confident version of yourself to the world. The other person is Pam Baker, who is the founder of Journeyus which is a career planning framework to help you align your personal values and your professional life. So in a way, Pam helps you put words on who you are and what you stand for. And Catherine helps you express that more visually through your appearance. This is a bit of a different take on the athlete transition than the typical what do you do next kind of question. It's a little more subtle, but really, if you think about what a pep talk can do for you and what knowing exactly what your role is in the game and how putting on your sports gear can get you aligned and in that right state on the field. Why wouldn't that be important in other parts of your life, right? This is Athlete Story and I'm your host, Anya Bolbia. If you like this topic, you can head on over to athletestory.com forward slash athlete transition where you will have a lot more tips and the full transcription of this interview. And you will even have two gifts from today's guests. So athletestory.com forward slash athlete transition. Also, I would really, really appreciate if you would give this podcast a review in iTunes or Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast, because that's going to help us spread the word. So I would really appreciate that from you guys if you like this podcast. Okay, thank you. Now let's get on with the show. Often being present as who you are comes natural in sports, but then off the field, you aren't really sure how to present yourself. What's your role, what's important about you, what's irrelevant, how do I come across as the person I really am. So let's welcome our two special guests today, Katherine Johnson and Pam Baker, and jump right into our conversation about just that. If you are a world-class athlete or simply into sports, I suggest you subscribe to my show right now because I'll be posting lots more athlete stories and chats with world-class sports insiders and experts. When you're quitting sports and you're trying to find your new way, there's this bit of doubt of who am I actually? <laughs> because I'm the, I'm the athlete, but I'm also a lot of other things. And if yeah. everybody's used to seeing you as the athlete, you will have all these doubts coming in on how do I even present myself as the non-athlete. Yeah. The approach that we took in Miami was really around this, how do you tell your story 
visually, which is what Catherine really focuses on. Yeah. And Pam is the, the verbal storytelling and really connecting with your, your values and the way you talk about yourself. So right. yeah, we found this very natural alignment because the work that we're doing, it's how do you have the tools to create a compelling story that helps you feel really connected to who you are? And in my world, that's all about how do you make sure you're not hiding in plain sight, that you're not making these like visual um, distractions or even putting up invisible walls that obscure your talents, you know, because when we lose confidence, when we, when we're in transition, it can feel hardest to know who we are. So sometimes we like really put up our defensive mechanisms to lean on who we were. Yeah. And we end up cutting connection and and we, and we close off opportunities. Would it also be something like, if you're used to wearing a jumper <laughs> and never dress up in a in a suit and then you go for some meeting and you feel like, oh, I have to look like everybody else and then you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, all those things take us out of being present in our bodies and, and, and sharing our best self into overthinking it. And it puts us all in our head and then we're not actually sharing who we are and so it's totally that and just as you talked about Anya it's a similar experience when you think about so now how do I talk about myself do I need to talk about myself the same way that everybody else around me is talking about because now I want to fit into this environment mm-hmm. so I think one of the things that Catherine puts beautifully is that while presence isn't the majority of our assessment, if you will, of people, it is the first one. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important in terms of the message that that's sending. And one of the next ones, when we generally open our mouths and talk about ourselves, is what we say, who I am, and do we allow ourselves to connect? Or do we have that sort of mental armor up about you know, I was this person or now I'm trying to fit in. So I'm leaving that athlete identity behind so that I can be like the rest of the folks around me. It's not necessarily either or. It's really about all of ourselves being integrated to allow us to connect in that authentic way that we all really crave. So if I were to come to you as an athlete who's trying to find my new (laughs) mission in life, what would be like the first three things you would tell me? Yeah, so the the first couple of things that we do with folks is we ask them a, a series of questions really designed to get at values, interests, and strengths. What do I do well, but also what do I gravitate to and what's important to me? With athletes, it's integrating the who I was, who I am now to uncover What does that mean in terms of the types of work and career that I want to have? Where is the intersection between those values, interests, and skills? And then this idea of career prototyping, which is going and getting some mini experiences, whether that's volunteer activities, whether that's little projects, whether that's going to do some freelancing, so that it, it, folks are making their decisions around jobs and careers with intention so that you really can create this career path that you find meaningful. One of the things that we find, particularly with athletes, is that this has been mentioned by the, the EY Wabin group many times, that 
athletes have all of the raw skills needed to be incredibly successful in business. They've looked at the correlation between women in the C-suite and having some background in athletics. And I think it's 94% of women in the C-suite have some background in athletics and more than half of them at the university level. So it tells you they have all the right skills. And so our focus is less about skill building and more about helping them identify where do I want to deploy these skills that are incredibly powerful once I figure out kind of where I want to to really point them. So that's our approach on journeys. And then as they begin to pull that together, we work with them on building their story around this six-part framework that allows them to speak to who they are, but most importantly, connect with the people that, that they're interacting with in a way that allows them to be authentic and real, as opposed to these are all the things that I've done. Right. I think I have an example. <laughs> I've sold corporate challenges. So I've been out in bigger corporations to, to sell my message of healthy living so that it's still convenient and doable. Trying to do this, I had an idea. I had to talk like the corporate language. And even in the speeches that I was out doing, I wasn't feeling at all comfortable. I didn't feel like myself pretty silly because what they wanted to hear was me talking like me and not like them, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but it took me a while to figure that out. And Well, it's true. I think the, the inclination for most of us is to, to try to fit in. I do some mentoring of business school students and I would find myself person after person after person, back-to-back conversations, get to the end of the third or fourth person. And I think, I can't remember one person from the next because they haven't told the story in a way that speaks to who they are. They've told me what they've done. And it's very difficult to have that stick in our mind in any memorable way because it's just information with no humanity to it. And so by just incorporating a little bit of who we are, as opposed to all of what we think the external world wants to know, which is what we do, it is amazing to see the difference in how people tune in and listen and lean in to want to know more. There's some science behind this. You know, they've, they've looked at the fact that When someone tells a story and someone listens to a story, the parts of the brain and the listener are the same ones that are lighting up in the teller. So you're you're sensing this story as if you're living it yourself. And that's what lights us up, right? It's the experience and feeling as though we're there as opposed to just the kind of much more one-dimensional listening to things to which it's, again, it's much harder to connect. And so how does the visual aspect come in in this? What I have people do first is we have to discover what are the qualities that they want to communicate, right, to themselves and outwardly. We have to identify what can they let go because sometimes the mistake people make unconsciously is they're dragging this old version of themselves into the present because that's like, They're clinging to it because it does usually serve some sort of purpose, right? Of like, this is how I know myself. But, you know, these transitions are really good opportunities to stop and and reflect on who you are now, what you want to move toward, how you want to connect with people. Like, what qualities about yourself do you want to share? So when we do that piece first, 
then we can look at the like very tangible act of, okay, well, what do you put on your body? Because you cover 80% of your body with clothes. You want to create a, a sense of congruence and that you are genuine. And it's a sense of confidence that you know yourself well enough that you represent yourself in the best light possible. Mm-hmm. Right. And I have, you know, a set of tools that it's like everything from how do you make sure you're in the right colors and design lines and styles that are what I call a hell yes. Like they're a hell yes for you and that you feel it and that it feels very natural and authentic that like when you walk in a room, like you have a compelling presence. You're not trying too hard. It doesn't feel phony or fake. Everything about your appearance is creating a frame so that people can connect with you and your energy and your message and your story. It's actually about eliminating any kind of static so that people can connect more fully with you and that you confidently know how to do that. Right. Like I was just speaking with a woman. She's been an athlete her whole life and she's like, now I'm having to fundraise and she wants to be able to present herself a little bit differently, but she doesn't know how. And so Mm -hmm. her biggest thing to me was like, I just don't feel confident in who am I right now? Right. How to be the athlete, the now leader, all these things. And it's kind of funny that it comes back to like, what am I putting on my body? But it's true. There's something about that visual landscape that's very much connected to our inner world. Yeah. You don't just communicate to other people by the way that you look. You're also communicating something to your own brain. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the reason I think Pam invited me on is like my whole identity was as an athlete. I was like a very accomplished national athlete and competed globally. And, um, when I lost that identity, like I still in my forties, like I compete. And when I put on my athletic clothes, I'm like, I still got it. And sometimes day to day, I don't have that. It's a way of remembering who we used to be, but it's like, how do we bring that forward? How do we still have that confidence? Well, I think that's a great transition into my next question, which is um, how you both got into working with what you work with today. There's not a linear path. So that's (laughs) my biggest life lesson after athletics is life is not linear. So I, by training, am am an educator. And so after athletics, I went into the private sector you know, did different types of work and none of it was really landing. It wasn't like a hell yes for me of feeling like this is what I meant to do. And so I started moving towards finding work that had more, more purpose and more connection. And so I went into education that worked for me in some ways and then didn't in others. And I took time off to raise my family. Mm-hmm. And I've ended up in a place where I was ending my marriage after 10 years and I had young children and I was very much at a, at a transition point of like, who am I and what's next for me? And in a very unexpected way, I was getting support from a therapist and she introduced me to this work and said, you know, there's, there's this work that's being done around image consulting. I think you, you might be interested in what it's all about. And I was like, no, thank you. I'm too deep for that. I would never want to talk to someone about clothes. I'm like, let me just shut down this conversation right now. Okay. And, and luckily, because it was my, my therapist, someone who really knew me, I trusted her when she said, no, you know, this is, this is a psychologist who's looking at how are you showing up in the world and can people really see you? And that interested me. Like, that 
discussion hooked me. So that just opened the door to um, an apprenticeship with this this psychologist who who does image consulting. They're training with her, mentoring with her, and then becoming an entrepreneur, which is Pam described is like there's all these skills involved and there's pieces about it I love and building my own business, you know, and taking this out. And the thing that I'm finding most rewarding is everyone goes through moments of transition with our identity and then being able to tie it even more closely with athletes because I've lived it myself. I have a real special place in my heart and it's really about helping people live to their greatest potential in another realm beyond that elite competition, mm-hmm. you know, how, and just supporting them to be seen. And, and there's, there's a lot of depth to the work. And so I'm, you know, I'm playing a supporting role, which is what I really am most interested in right now. And it's still surprising to me that it has to do with our visual appearance, but it ends up, it's a piece I'm, I'm really good at. And it makes sense to me when you actually look at the person first, right? When you right. connect with who they are. It does. It's, <laughs> Like, I don't want to just talk about shopping or fashion. That's not the place I want to be living either. But I do know that if we want to be seen, heard, and valued, we need to be intentional about what we share with the world so they can see us. Right. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And so my background is, is different. I come from the corporate world. So I spent about 20 years in healthcare and big companies and small companies, and I led lots of different teams and hired lots of people. And over the last few years, I was seeing this theme of hiring really talented individuals who would go through a couple years of work and in many cases do a great job and then get to a point where they think, I don't think this is what I want to keep doing, but I have no idea how to figure out what I do want to do. And in then digging into what are folks provided as they come out into the world, there's very little. Great, you're done. Now go figure it out. And we have this challenge of there are so many different careers out there, which on the face of it seems great. But the the difficulty is most people don't know uh, the vast majority of them. And so what people think about are just these few handfuls of roles that they may have an idea of that isn't really reflective of reality. And they look externally at what they believe something to be without having any of the tools to be able to understand things about them to identify what might fit. So I saw folks really struggling with this question of what do I do next? But more importantly, how do I figure it out? Mm -hmm. And then I saw people kind of more my demographic in getting to mid-career and thinking, I, you know, I've got to do something different. I had the experience of going to this event and being asked what my mission was. I literally had no idea. I couldn't write anything down because I, I, I just, I had nothing. And when I shared that with people, I realized that was a very common experience. And so I've got twin daughters who are 10 and they are these very different beings and they will gravitate to and they do gravitate to entirely different things. So my goal is how can we provide the tools for folks as they're entering the work world that meet them where they are, help them 
make sense of what they bring to the world and what that can mean in terms of job and career decisions. And ideally, how can we prevent people from getting to mid-career and wanting to make this big U-turn? You know, how can you give folks some of the insights and perspectives and the ability to be able to create the career path that they find meaningful so we're not looking at seven out of 10 of us sort of dreading going to work every day or not really engaged in the work that we're doing. Because to me, it's exciting to think about if all of us brought our whole selves to work, you know, what what could that mean? I think it's incredibly powerful. That's really kind of why Journeyus came to be, to enable that and enable that before people get to a point where they say, oh, I, I don't like this at all. Mm-hmm. So you're both on a big mission there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. One of the women that I had mentored was told as she was retiring from sport, you know, you're very competitive and so you should go into sales. And she went into sales and she was really unhappy with sales because while she was comp- she was a great competitor, the, it wasn't just the ability to win that drove her. And so I think that can be the other challenge of outsiders see athletes in a somewhat one-dimensional way. People outside sports will see you like this driven person who knows what she wants and and goes for it. But as soon as you're taken out of, of the sport and you have to find your new go for what you want, you don't know what that want is yet the drive is not there yet and you feel like why am I not driven anymore what's and you lose a lot of momentum and confidence yeah and and that shift in many emotions and how I'm feeling right Mm -hmm. it's I'm not feeling confident I don't have the drive I don't have this sort of single-minded determination Mm -hmm. and all of those happening at once I think is is what feels so disorienting yeah I think, Catherine, you had a similar experience as you were thinking about your own next steps coming out of sport. Yeah, very similar. And even to this day, like I was just back on um, my college campus a few weeks ago for like a big celebration of of squash on campus. And people were still like, oh, you got to meet Catherine, amazing competitor, like just competitor. And they, they just remember that piece of me. And so when they translate into what I'm doing now, I have all the time, even some of my closest friends are like, oh, you would kill it in, you know, whatever it is, because they're like, because you're so competitive, you would just love the like, and it ends up like is, you know, 20 years of getting to know myself outside of athletics. That isn't a direct exchange for me of competitive drive. It actually, for me, what's really important is connection, collaboration, the people I'm surrounded with. That's part of what I loved about athletics was the caliber of people. You were just like, that was, those were, that was your tribe. You could work hard, you could play hard, you just, everything about that. When I was feeling lost and when I was like, I don't know what this, the next career is I should do, people would just come back to, well, you're an athlete, you must love competition. You must love the like closing the deal or this or that. And there's so much more to it. I mean, I probably am on the range, a competitive person, but that's not what's fulfilling out of a career for me. Right. right. And being able hear to <laughs> hear that, but be like, I think there's something else or, or like even understanding for me, it's now like I want to play a supporting role in raising other people up. 
you know, my success did not come alone. It came with a, a, an ecosystem of support, of coaches, of people who believed in me, even when I didn't believe in myself at times, that support was always there. And when you stop being an athlete, all of that drops away as well. And that's very disorienting, very disorienting. Yeah. And I think knowing that it's a phase, you can influence how long that phase is going to be if you're aware of where you are. Uh, I think that's really, really, really important. That's where the network comes in, that you really have to cultivate the network. It's good to know yeah. people in all different, both ages and stages of life, but also to have some who have been through a bit of the same things can be a big, big, big help, I think. I think you're right. Like Pam and I have talked about this. We can look back and we can see current athletes and be like, you know what, this is coming for you. But it's in one ear out the other because unless you're experiencing it, you just can't anticipate it. It's like when your parents tell you things and you're like, yeah, right. What do you know about the world now? And then you live it and you're like, oh, yeah, they're totally right. <laughs> I think the other thing that we've heard from athletes who then are in that spot is, oh, I didn't know that I wasn't the only one. We talked to one woman who said, first of all, I was embarrassed about it. And so I didn't want to talk about it. And then when I did mention it to somebody, I was surprised. I just thought I was the only person. <laughs> and that is such a consistent comment. Yeah. There are so many folks that are kind of struggling silently. And mm -hmm. yet it is such a shared experience. And knowing that it does go in one year and out the other before folks leave sport, how do we kind of help folks in the moment to recognize you're not alone? There is an amazing kind of network around people who have been there and you have what it takes. It's going to be a couple of things that we can work on. And then you'll kind of off to the races and all sorts of opportunity ahead. I think it ties into like asking for help, right? Like I think, Anya, when you're saying it's about having a network, it's about having that network and getting comfortable with the, the discomfort of asking for help. Do you find that there's a difference between how men go about this and how women go about this? Fundamentally, I would say there's not a difference way, I think there may be a different kind of veneer of how they come across in going through this. What I find is that women are more open to being vulnerable and admit when they don't have it all beautifully figured out and open themselves up, being willing to get some support and help along the way. Certainly there are men who will do that as well, but I do think just from a societal perspective, there tends to be a, well, I will do this thing because that's what's expected of me. I think in many cases, men will rely more heavily on, well, this is what I do well, and therefore I need to do something with that, which can work for a period of time, but over time, I think that's where you often find that people feel as though then the work that they're doing rings a bit hollow because it's only reflecting this one dimensional piece of who they are. All right. Catherine, do you have any thoughts on kind of the male female dynamic on the on the visual presence piece? I think that the choices that women have to make around their appearance and their awareness of how judged they are on their appearance creates this very heightened effect of like, 
not wanting to make a misstep can create another level of paralysis. A man can put on a suit and it can just be like a well-tailored, well-fitting suit and like they're credible, they're trustworthy, like all these qualities are immediately conveyed. And for women, you know, it's like the Goldilocks effect of like, people need to feel that we're trustworthy, we're nice, we're strong, or it's all these things that are often feeling like they're at odds. And so they're like, how do I do that? And so I think it adds a level of overwhelm and confusion. And also, especially women athletes have like had an experience of like being very successful by working at being really good at something and being able to prove themselves, right? There's like, here's everything to show for it, my competency and my capabilities. And so it feels very superficial to even have to think about how I look because it it feels like it subtracts from my competency and my substance, Mm -hmm. right? And so there's that internal dialogue going on as well. So you can just see where there's all these self-judgments and criticisms around thinking about how we look. In addition to the reality of we are, as humans, constantly assessing each other, Mm -hmm. but simply because from from a survival standpoint, we're looking for very early signals and cues of can I trust this person and can I respect their capabilities because it's about survival. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show to share this. So if, if people want to know more about you. We've got a, a little link to an offer for your folks as well, if that if there's something that's of value for oh, them. Oh, that's always nice, a little gift. <laughs> well, it's uh, journeyus.com slash vision, and that'll be the link to the gift for folks. Do you have a separate site, uh, Catherine? I do. And so people can connect further with me in the work if they go to katherine-johnson.com forward slash gift. I have a resource kind of describing what visual static is, and the five keys to elevate your, your visual presence so they can learn more specifically about that. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, I'll put a link to both of those gifts. I'm not going to take any more of your time. It was a fun conversation. Uh, I yeah, wish you good it. luck with all, all the athletes you're supporting as well. Thank you. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Athlete Story. You are awesome. If you are yourself a world-class athlete or former, don't hesitate to come over on athletestory.com and check out more free stuff and resources to help you thrive in and benefit from your sports career. Dare to prepare. Then get yourself out there. Stay in touch.